I'm Julie Sabatier, and this is Rendered. It is hard to find a lot of examples of companies that get big and get better and stay good. And, you know, I understand why people would feel frightened. Back in April, we talked about Etsy going public, how the company has changed over the past 10 years, and what all of that means to the makers who sell their goods on the site. Etsy in those early years was small. It was very handmade. Um, it didn't have name recognition. People didn't know what I was talking about. They would say Etsy, SD. They didn't know what I was, you know, they didn't know what the word meant. My opinion of them has changed over the years from being that like, yeah, Etsy's for us, by us, to being like, well, Etsy's actually just a giant corporation that is giving a service to the handmade community, but they don't actually care about us individually. So, you know, it's not the savior that crafters had hoped it was or that it potentially could have been. I had a nightmare last night that there were Etsy stores and malls that were like the equivalent of like Spencer Gifts or like Hot Topic, but they were branded as Etsy. And that's what people thought of when they thought of as Etsy. That's Abby Glassenberg, Grace Dobush, and Susie Garamani, the three Etsy sellers we spoke with in April. Today, I want to revisit some of their concerns about the direction the company is taking with an important voice that was missing from that show. As you may recall, my pal Jason Rouse lent his voice to the Etsy prospectus. That's the document the company filed with the Securities and Exchange Commission ahead of the IPO. Our mission is to reimagine commerce in ways that build a more fulfilling and lasting world. But I couldn't actually interview anyone from Etsy because they were in the mandated quiet period surrounding the IPO. Four months later, that's changed. I'm Heather Jassy, Senior Vice President of Members and Community at Etsy. I originally put in a request to talk to Etsy's CEO, Chad Dickerson, about the IPO and a whole bunch of other stuff. Instead, Etsy offered me an interview with Heather and told me that while she was happy to talk to me about the company's policies and its changing definition of handmade, she actually couldn't say that much about the IPO. Well, I, I can talk a little bit about the IPO for you and talk you know, more about listing day and the experience of that. Um, you know, I was I was there at Times Square with our sellers, and uh, we had a market uh, in Times Square where sellers came from around the world, and it was just such a great experience. You know, then that all happened, and we celebrated with our community, and then we all just came back to work, and life went on as normal, and and we're really you know doing the same things we've been doing all along, like focusing on building for the long term, and and those things really haven't changed. So. Beyond all of that, it just it feels like it's really too soon to say much more about it. It's, we're really in the early days with this. All right, Miriam, just so I can get your levels um, on the screen here, will you just uh, introduce yourself real quick? Hi, this is Miriam Gottfried. I'm with the Wall Street Journal's Heard on the Street column. Is it cynical for me to think that if the IPO had gone really well, you know, if the stock wasn't down 30 or 40 percent in the last couple of months, that they would want to talk to me about it? I don't think that's cynical at all. <laughs> um, you know, any company's PR strategy should include talking about the things they'd prefer to talk about and not talking about the things that, you know, kind of highlight some major questions at their company. You may recognize Miriam as my IPO spirit guide from the April episode. She was more than happy to talk with me about how Etsy has fared as a public company thus far. And as I hinted there, it hasn't done that well. The stock surged on its first trading day, but I reconnected with Miriam in early August, a few days after Etsy released its second quarter earnings report, and... 
Well, here, let me take a look. The screen that I'm looking at right now shows Etsy at $13.67, so significantly below the IPO price, which, you know, was $16 a share. So it's, it's been a pretty dramatic decline. As I'm recording this on August 14th, the stock is actually up a bit, but it's still barely above its IPO price. And by the time you hear this, that will probably have changed. Etsy's stock is, in a word, unpredictable. Some analysts have even called it the worst IPO of 2015, though, of course, it may be a little too early to make that call. Uh, Well, I mean, I haven't looked at all of the IPOs in comparison, but it, it has performed pretty badly. One of Etsy's biggest struggles as a company comes back to Heather Jassy's role there. So senior vice president members and community. So, so I work with all the teams that interact directly with our community. And, and because we're such, a, you know, we're really so focused on our members, it's about 25% of the company. So we have teams who do everything from um, manage trust and safety to customer support to seller education and business development to services like wholesale that help sellers grow their businesses. So just involved in everything that impacts our sellers. Heather was heavily involved in the 2013 decision to allow some sellers to work with manufacturers, something that was extremely controversial in the Etsy community. And we'll come back to that. But I want to talk about another thing that Heather's team does, weeding out the bad actors that, if left unchecked, could ruin Etsy for everyone. Basically, they're looking for the sellers and shops that violate the company's internal policies, as well as the laws governing copyright and intellectual property. We have engineers who work constantly on tweaking algorithms and like auto-closing shops that shouldn't be on Etsy that are really egregious. Those shops get, some of those shops get shut down very, very quickly. Um, We have a team who monitors um, community flags and checks against all of those, but they also um, look at the computer-generated reports that may or may not be as obviously egregious and require human review. And then, they, and then the, these things are constantly popping up all the time, so we're constantly refining and changing things. As you can imagine, with 1.4 million sellers and 30 million listings on the site, this is no small task. And it's not just that troublemakers are finding new ways to evade the rules. Sometimes, intellectual property can be squishy. I'll just give you an example. An attorney who was uh, representing a longstanding children's television show uh, requested that Etsy remove a handful of items. And she noted that many of the Etsy listings made reference to the brand, but only a few could damage the brand's reputation. And those were considered infringement. Others were unauthorized, but they were fan art and could, could continue to be sold. And, you know, fan art's a really tough one because it's actually defined by the person who holds the IP. <laughs> I mean, that's when it gets really challenging. Even sellers who aren't making fan art or anything that could be construed as copyright infringement should be concerned. When that stuff shows up on the site, it has the potential to damage Etsy's reputation, which sellers depend on. Former Etsy seller Grace Dobush pointed out that Etsy's brand can sometimes eclipse that of individual sellers. People who are buying on the site at this point, you know, when you ask them who they bought it from, they'll just be like, oh, I got it from Etsy. And you're like, well, which of the millions of sellers did you buy it from specifically? And, you know, it's, it's rare for someone to actually be able to say, you know, who they got it from. And this question of who or what is making the products sold on Etsy is also a concern for investors. I remember an analyst report coming out where they said X percent of goods on Etsy 
could be, you know, counterfeit or maybe not counterfeit, but, you know, made in China or not actually handmade goods. And I remember that the stock fell off a lot on reports that there were products on the site that weren't really in keeping with Etsy's uh, mission and goals and ethos. That is always going to be something that a company needs to attack aggressively because uh, it could really threaten to undermine their business if they get sued or if, you know, buyers lose faith in the company because they realize that the products aren't handmade. Coming up, Etsy's changing definition of handmade and Heather's responses to some of the specific concerns sellers brought up on our April episode. But first, have you heard about One Bad Mother? It's one of my favorite shows on the Maximum Fun Network. I'm Biz. And I'm Teresa. And we host One Bad Mother, a comedy podcast about parenting. We say all the horrible things about having kids so you don't have to. And you can come across as the magical vessel Pinterest perfect parent society wants you to be. One bad mother. Because this is hard and nobody gives a Check us out on iTunes and MaximumFun.org. Defining handmade is far from simple. And maybe nobody knows that better than Heather Jassy. So the short answer is, you know, everything in the shop must be made by, made or designed by the seller. You can hire employees, but if you do, you have to disclose who those people are and what role they have in the production of your goods. Uh, You can work with an outside manufacturer, but if you want to do that, you need to get approval for that. Reselling is not allowed in the handmade category. That's the the clean-cut definition, but as you know, defining handmade is a lot more complex than that. Part of why it's so complex is that it's a moving target. This is where we get back to that 2013 policy change that got people so upset. In the fall of that year, Etsy announced that it had created a process for sellers to get approval to work with what it calls small-batch manufacturers. The idea was to create new guidelines for sellers who wanted to increase their production volume without leaving the site. We see designers who work with a number of small manufacturers for different parts of their line. So um, an example of this is a seller who makes clocks and she just gets the wood faces laser cut. She doesn't want to do that in her apartment in Brooklyn. So she, you know, has somebody else do that part and she does all the assembly and hand finishing herself. All that sounds reasonable, but how does Etsy define a small batch manufacturer? When we approve sellers to use outside manufacturers, We're actually not vetting the manufacturer, but we're actually approving sellers. So we're looking at um, the level of authorship, responsibility, and transparency inherent in their process. So in a lot of ways, we're trusting our sellers to make good decisions and show us that they've made good decisions. And what we're finding is that our sellers overwhelmingly are working local and small because that's the relationship that feels good for them. According to Heather, this is all in the service of transparency for buyers. We don't want to force anybody to do anything that makes them uncomfortable. It's about making sure that we've told the story of all of the players who are involved in the making of this object. Longtime Etsy seller Susie Garamani says she was uncomfortable when Etsy asked her to apply to work with an outside manufacturer. I did apply to be someone who works with a manufacturing partner because I was told that for something like a printed greeting card that that's considered manufacturing and that it's possible to get kicked off the website if you don't disclose that, which is like, to me, at the time, I was really kind of scared because I'm like, well, I'm not 
I'm not like going over to factories and having things made by other people. Like I am involved in every aspect of this. So to me, I feel like I was kind of forced into applying for manufacturing, but I, th- I think it's telling a lie actually that doesn't benefit me or my business in that it says that I'm not making things that I am making. I asked Heather to respond directly to Susie's complaint. You know, I can't really comment on a particular shop. I mean, I haven't I haven't heard a ton of that feedback. I've heard I've heard feedback on the other side, which is that, you know, people say it's really cool to look at a shop and like see this whole um, this this level of transparency that you know exactly what's going on, what the making process looks like. So I can't really comment beyond that. Well, that wasn't very satisfying. So I ran one of Susie's more general comments by Heather. No one seems to know what belongs on Etsy. I think part of why this might feel confusing is that I think making is changing a lot. I think small batch production, is ch- uh, manufacturing is changing a lot. And so um, I, I don't, kn- I, I'm not sure that this is all just about what's happening on Etsy, but maybe like, I feel like it's it's similar to what I hear happening like in a lot of parts of the handmade movement that just the way the ways in which technology is changing making is like creating some blurred boundaries around some of these things that were once quite clear. Susie is far from the only seller who's unhappy with Etsy. Abby Glassenberg is another Etsy seller with a blog about creative entrepreneurship called While She Naps. Here's how she described the general unrest among sellers. I don't know that I can pinpoint exactly the moment it changed. Um, But, you know, people grumble for sure. And now that grumbling is like a roar. I asked Heather if she's concerned about the roar. Look, it's my job to be worried every time sellers are unhappy. And, And I feel that. And I, you know, what I try to do is really, you know, look, I, I interact with sellers a lot. And I read, you know, everything from I read Abby's blog, I read the forums, I read um, the Etsy success team and try to really um, get a, you know, get a good sampling of, of how people are, are feeling at any point. And I, I, it always concerns me if, if there are any people who are feeling unhappy. With that said, I also um, used to be a therapist. And so I see some of this as a reaction to change. And, you know, Etsy's gotten bigger, things are changing. And like at the root of all this is the fact that our sellers feel really connected to Etsy. They, they, you know, even when they're feeling conflicted feelings, they still, like, I think for the most part, like, value what we have here and value our community. And um, they, they want this to be good. And, you know, I, I think, you know, if you just look around in the world, it's, it's, it is hard to find a lot of examples of companies that get big and get better and stay good. And, you know, I understand why people would feel frightened. Etsy is in a tough spot right now. They're trying to grow at a rapid pace to please shareholders while holding on to the values that made them popular in the first place. And as if that wasn't enough to contend with, there's a looming threat on the horizon, namely competition. Hi, and welcome to Handmade at Amazon. Our new store is specially designed to connect artisans like you with Amazon customers throughout the world. We know you love handmade and so do we. Millions of Amazon customers worldwide will soon be shopping for delightfully unique, one-of-a-kind handmade items. Will they find one of yours? Join us today. 
That's right. Amazon recently announced it's launching a new site focused specifically on handmade goods, and their promotional video is targeted towards Etsy's biggest revenue source, sellers. Wall Street Journal reporter Miriam Gottfried says this could be a big problem for Etsy. Anytime you compete against Amazon, you're competing against a company that has a lot of resources and also against a company that has a unique competitive advantage. And the competitive advantage that Amazon has is not only scale, but also the fact that its investors have traditionally not really cared if it reports a profit. So that means Amazon can spend as much money as it needs to spend and even lose money to take over someone else's market. And that makes it a very, very dangerous competitor. Heather was understandably a bit evasive when I asked her about this dangerous competitor. You know, honestly, we're just as curious as you are to learn more about Amazon Handmade. But in in the meantime, we're just we're still just staying focused on what we were before, which is trying to create the best possible experience for our sellers. How do you think it will affect Etsy? If I had a crystal ball, I'd tell you I have no idea. (laughs) There's a lot of uncertainty out there about Etsy, and uncertainty makes investors nervous. So I think in the short term, at least, Etsy's going to be very volatile. Um, it's going to have these big surges and big falls in until we can kind of see a trend developing. I mean, there are just too many unknowns at this point. And right now, investors are kind of not willing to give the company the benefit of the doubt because they don't have a lot of reason to do so. One thing's for sure. This is going to continue to be an interesting and evolving story. Will makers choose Amazon over Etsy? Will Etsy's changing definition of handmade alienate sellers or bring new ones into the fold? Any way you slice it, sellers are the lifeblood of Etsy. And the IPO made that even more apparent. Without them, the company has basically no revenue source and therefore nothing to offer its shareholders. In many ways, it's makers themselves, not investors, who will decide Etsy's fate. This episode was produced by engineer Brian Kramer, editor Laura Hatton, and me, Julie Sabatier. Team Rendered also includes intern Nico Kwiatkowski and our trusted advisor, Jamie Cuddy. We get legal help from Cole Haver. The music in this episode comes from Levi Cecil and Seth Lorenzi at Two Track Mind. Our website is renderedradio.org. Head over there to listen back to our April episode about Etsy becoming a public company. You can also find us on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram at Rendered Radio. And as always, thanks for listening. MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Listener supported.